All right. Welcome, everyone, to today's Google Search Central SEO Office Hour Hangouts. Uh, my name is John Mueller. I'm a search advocate uh, here at Google in Switzerland. And part of what we do are these office hour sessions uh, where people can jump in and ask their questions around web search and their websites. And we can try to find an answer. Uh, looks like, I don't know, a bunch of people already submitted questions. So we have some of that to go through. But we can also go through some of the live questions first. It uh, looks like a handful of you have your hands raised. So let me see. Let's start off with David. Hi, John. Um, I'm an uh, SEO manager for a news publisher in Germany. And uh, we have a huge complex robots uh, TXT, like with more than 1,500 lines, with a multitude of disallows that has grown steadily over the years. And this allows often refer to HTML fragments and URLs where AJAX calls are used, and uh, where is it is it where it is not possible to set a no index tag. So my question is, or I have a, uh, several questions uh, about this: um, Are there any negative uh, SEO effects that can result from a huge, very huge robot uh, TXT? I mean, not not direct negative SEO um, issues with that, but it makes it a lot harder to maintain. And it makes it a lot easier to accidentally push something that does cause issues. So just because it's a large file doesn't mean it's a problem, but it makes it easier for you to create problems. OK. OK, I understand that. OK. Um, and are there any negative uh, SEO effects uh, if we don't include the sitemap into the robots TXT? No. no that's OK. Like those different ways of submitting a sitemap are all equivalent for us. OK. Uh, third question, uh, uh, what would be um, the SEO effect if we radically shorten the robots TXT, um, for example, set everything to allow, does Google recognize non-user relevant HTML fragments, or do they end up in the index? And how does Google deal with pages where Ajax calls are used? So it, it, it's hard to say what, what you mean with regards to those fragments. Like, like it's like, like a, a, a header or a, a footer element. Um, they are uh, disallowed because they're not um, not interesting for the user. Like it's a big it's a big custom made um, uh, content management system. Yes, with a lot of like these HTML fragments. And how, like, it are are these fragments that you use in the CMS to construct the page, or are they? kind of referenced within the page itself, like with JavaScript files and, and things like that? I think uh, both both of these. Yeah, like yeah. They, they used to build uh, build a page and also um, yeah, for, for JavaScript. I so 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 my my thought there would be to try to figure out exactly how, how these fragment URLs are used. And uh, if, if you're unsure, uh, maybe take one of these fragment URLs and allow its crawling 
and look at the content of that fragment URL and then check to see what happens in search. Uh, okay. does, does it affect anything with regards to the index content on your site? Is that some of that content findable within your site suddenly? Is that a problem or not? Uh, and try to work based on that. Because it's, it's very easy to block things by robots.txt, which actually are not used for indexing. And then you spend a lot of time maintaining this big robots.txt file, but it actually doesn't change that much for your website. OK. And uh, is there, apart from radically sh shortening in it, is there any kind of a guideline uh, for the robots.txt, how do you, how do you build it? No. no. No, it's essentially up to you. Like some sites have big files, some sites have small files. Like they they should all just work. Um, we we have an open source uh, code of the robots text parser that we use. Uh, so what you can also do is um, get your developers to run that that parser for you, or kind of mm -hmm. set it up so that you can test it, and then check the URLs on your website with that parser to see which URLs would actually get blocked and what that would change. And that way, you can test things before you make them. OK. And uh, where, where can I find these, uh, this parser? Um, it's on GitHub. I, I think it's linked from our robots text documentation as well. OK. OK, thank you. So I have one additional question um, about um, uh, web stories. So. Um, I I want to know, is there any timeline when web stories for Google Search and Google Discover are available in Germany? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, so I, I mean, these things usually start off in some countries or languages, and then they go everywhere. Uh, but I don't know what the timing is. OK. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Oh, sure. Uh, Ahmed. Hi, John. So my question for this week is actually about heading text. Uh, some SEOs say that uh, they do not affect your rankings, and some of them say they uh, the only thing that matters for your ranking is just their size. Like H1 should be bigger than H2, than H2, for example. Uh, but the, when I analyzed your own blog and Google Search Central documentations, I saw that you and Google use heading text properly. Like you use only one H1 tag per page, and there's a hierarchy between these heading tags. And also, Google Chrome Lighthouse has a warning. When you do not use heading tags hierarchical, it says you should use them hierarchical. Uh, so should we use heading tags like you and Google use, or can we just use them randomly? Can I just add, for example, five H1 tags to a page? So I, I think, first of all, you should not assume that just because Google does something that it's the best way to do it. Um, across all of our sites, there, there are people with various level of kind of search SEO-related knowledge. And uh, not everyone focuses on all of the details and does it all, all perfectly. So I, I would kind of like say, well, Google does this, but it doesn't mean that it's perfect. And the same for any other big website. It's like so many people are always involved with these big websites. You can't assume that everything they do is perfect even if they rank number one for some of these queries. So that's kind of my, my first thing. Uh, with regards to headings, we, we do use them to understand a little bit better what the context is of individual pieces of content. 
And for that, it can help if you have a kind of a hierarchy on the page. Uh, but the I think almost the, the bigger effect that you would see is with regards to usability, that uh, especially people with screen readers or uh, other kind of assistive devices, they rely on these headings to better understand the page and kind of know where within the page they need to go. And uh, because of that, it's something where I would say, well, if you're going to work on headings on your pages, you might as well do it right. And uh, often it doesn't take a lot of extra work to kind of like figure out how to do the hierarchy right and set up the templates for that. So my recommendation would be to do the headings right, but it's not something where I'd say you're required to do it. Okay, thank you for answer. I really appreciate it. Sure. Um, let's see, Saket. Yeah, hi, John. Hope hi. you are doing well. Uh, I'm Saket from CED Commerce from India. Uh, we provide uh, affordable solutions for e-commerce, uh, digital marketing, and global marketplace requirements. Uh, so we are planning to move uh, our one product category of multi-vendor on a new domain or subdomain. So uh, we want to know that how we move forward in this planning and how do we implement it? it and what obstacles we are going to face and what are the solutions uh, how to rank the new domain because the uh, current uh, domain uh, ranks well on google and other search engines and provide us good organic search traffic and how much time it will take to make the new domain to receive the amount of amount of traffic we are receiving now I, I don't think there is any fixed time for for that kind of change because it it sounds like you're not just moving from one domain to another you're all actually moving to one infrastructure to a different infrastructure and often yes. that means the the content uh, will be different the the structure of the pages maybe even the URLs will be different all of that can change and yes. all of the Things are elements which take time to be processed, and yes. uh, it's it it really depends on the website with regards to how long that would take, and uh, it's it's not that you can have a specific timeline for that. And I, I think the other part to also keep in mind is uh, these kind of changes can have overall positive or negative effects for a website. So it's, it's very possible to take this kind of a migration and say, we will also work on SEO and improve the interlinking of our pages and the URL structure and uh, the HTML format of our pages. And all of these can have very positive effects for your website. Uh, but at the same time, if you don't watch out for these things and suddenly you have a big mess of URLs and the HTML is not easily understandable by search engines, then that can have a negative effect. Uh, so it's something where you you shouldn't assume that if you're migrating like an e-commerce shop from one platform to another, that it will be the same on the other platform after a certain period of time. It can be similar. It can be much better. It can also be much worse. So you really need to watch out for all of those details and think about what, what is the final structure that you want and what kind of SEO if, uh, elements you want to include uh, with that migration. OK, and uh, what kind of negative as aspects we will face when we are going to moving that 
uh, infrastructure to a new, new domain? It's, it's really hard to say because it depends on all of the details of what, what you actually change. Uh, usually what, what happens in, in a situation when everything is, is very, very well lined up, you will see some fluctuations over the time when we learn about the new website to when we shift everything over. And uh, that's something where I would assume you will see some less visibility in search. Uh, but it, it really depends on all of the changes that you make along there, where it can take a lot longer, or it can also be something where the, the final result is much worse or even much better than it was before. OK, if you allow me, I'll share some data with you regarding the product we are going to move to a new domain. Uh, so uh, basically, the product is uh, six to seven years old. Uh, and there is multiple add-ons and extensions related to that product. Uh, we have 200 plus blogs, 10K plus backlinks, and we have uh, um, multiple partnerships with leading brands in this industry related to that product. And the competition is also too strong for that product on search engines. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's really hard to say offhand. So what, what I would recommend doing if you feel like you have no, no idea which, which direction even to check, I would take these details and post them in the Webmaster Help Forums and try to get some advice from other people. And uh, usually, they, they can quickly tell you, like, oh, it looks like you're moving from this well-known platform to another well-known platform, and that's no problem. Or you can just do this extra step, and everything will be the same. But it's, it's really something where someone needs to look at those details. And usually, that's best done in, in a kind of like a help forum where you can post all of the URLs and some of the, the queries that you're looking at. OK, OK. OK, thanks. Thanks, John. Sure. Um, let's see, Gal. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes. Great. Um, so I'm in SEO, and I was given this question, and I, I want to provide the best possible answer. Um, I've got a client that operates in um, only a handful of states. And right now, when you go to the homepage, the, the state that they're headquartered in is, is loud and clear. You know that they're in that state. Uh, but then they feel like it's leaving the other states out uh, when they come to the page. So the conversion team has an idea to create state landing pages but they want to automatically redirect the user when they come to the home page to that state page. So a dynamic geo IP redirection. And then since those state pages are essentially the same home page, just with that state showcased better, their idea is to no index these state pages. And I now have a tight ball in my stomach about this whole idea. And they want to know the SEO implications of doing so. OK. So I, I think there, there are a few things to, to kind of keep in mind there. Uh, on, on the one hand, Google for search, we generally just crawl from one location. 
uh, and probably for, for most systems that would map back to California. Uh, and essentially what that would mean is that the content that we can look at would be the content for California, and we would not have access to the content for the other states, uh, which, de depending on what kind of content you have there for the other states, we like that might be OK, but it might be problematic. Uh, so that's kind of the, the first thing to keep in mind is like probably it will look like when you search for your company, it'll look like, oh, this is purely in California or maybe even in San Francisco. I don't know how, how the IP addresses would map there. Uh, so I, I think that's something that often throws people off, especially with geo IP redirects or dynamically swapping the content. Uh, the other thing is if you no-index the individual state landing pages, then, of course, the state landing page that someone from California would go to would also be no-indexed, which would basically mean that your home page would drop out of the search results. So that would be a pretty bad thing. Uh, my, my general recommendation for these kind of situations is instead of um, redirecting automatically, to a specific location uh, to make it so that the user can find that content much easier. So something like a dynamic banner on a page. Uh, when the user goes to the home page, there's like a banner on top that says, oh, it looks like you're in Texas. And we have an office in Texas. And here's the information. And click this link to find out more. And uh, that way, the, the user has the kind of the ability to go to these individual pages. And ideally, those individual pages would also be indexable, uh, because that way, if someone looks mm -hmm. for your company name plus the state name, they would be able to find that landing page, which would be essentially ideal. Uh, the other approach that you could take is to uh, swap out some of the content dynamically on the home page. Uh, so instead of having separate state landing pages, you have kind of your general home page, and you have that state-specific information dynamically swapped out. Uh, the important part here is to make sure that overall that home page still has enough generic content uh, so that it doesn't come across as like everything is for California, but rather it's like this is lots of information about your business and since it looks like you're in California, here's specific information for California or whatever state that you're in. So those are generally the, the two directions that we recommend there. Um, with regards to the individual state landing pages, for a handful of versions, we wouldn't really see that as being problematic. If you had landing pages for every city in every state, then that would start looking a little bit uh, iffy for our web spam algorithms. But like, if, if you're talking about a, a handful of states, or like, I don't know, maybe even all states, it's something where you have 50 different versions of the home page with your local address, with phone numbers, opening hours, kind of that additional local information on them. From our point of view, that's generally fine. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Gail, um, I think you can get also a lot of inspirations from uh, a lot of affiliates uh, in the space. You know, uh, you can take a look at also Expedia, how they do it really well. Um, but yeah, like inspiration from those, from that uh, angle uh, would really help you.
Yeah. Thank and you. With, with some of the, the bigger sites that do this kind of automatically swapping out the content for location, you can also see that in the search results. And it used to be, I think if you search for Craigslist, the, the top pages from Craigslist were all California pages. And then it looked like, well, this is a California company, and it's not even relevant for me. And those are the kind of things that you want to watch out for, to make sure that the, the content that's indexed and findable in search kind of represents your business overall. And you additionally have that local information, but it doesn't drown out the, the general information for your business. Perfect. Thank you. Cool. Uh, all right, Hazel. Hey, John. How are you doing? Hi. Uh, so I've got uh, three questions, and the first one is about the redirecting. And do you know what are the risks of redirecting users from site page to like app? Because um, does it have a negative impact on traffic from a SEO perspective? Um, I don't think so. So you you mean if you register the URLs? For the app, I, I think you do that in, in the operating system so that if you go to that URL, it goes directly to the app. Uh, like not exactly. It's more about because our, as we were doing the uh, data analysis, we found that the bounce rate of our mobile is very high, and uh, uh, it also has low conversion rate. Um, but our app has a more higher conversion rate. So we are thinking that maybe we can redirect some users when they got uh, got on some uh, product pages or. Uh, category pages, we redirect some users to app or app store. Uh, maybe we can conversion these these users to, yeah, maybe contribute to a higher conversion. Now, I I think overall you can do that. Um, the aspect I would generally watch out for there is that you do it in a way that lets users go to the app if they want to. Uh, so I I don't know all of the details at, at the moment with regards to kind of the connection between the apps and the, the web pages, uh, but I believe there is a way to do a kind of a smart banner, uh, where if you can recognize that the user has the app installed, it's it's very easy for them to kind of move to the app experience from there. Um, but mm -hmm. I I don't know the the specific details for like Android and iPhone how how that currently is handled. Um, in, in general, from a search point of view, if we can index the individual mobile pages, uh, the, the desktop pages as well, or like whatever you have available there, uh, that's, that's perfectly fine. If people from your pages end up going to the app, that's, that's also perfectly fine from our point of view. Um, so um, the, the way you are talking is uh, about maybe a top banner on the site page. Uh, and maybe if we redirecting them, like force force them to re redirect, would uh, will that be maybe bad for SEO or site? I I think probably that would be okay. I mean, the there there are two things I I'm ha I have in the back of my head which may might be something to watch out for. Uh, one, since Googlebot also uses an Android user agent, you need to make sure that you don't redirect Googlebot to the App Store mm -hmm. or the app, 
because we won't mm -hmm. install the app. Uh, yeah. So that's that's one thing. Uh, the other thing is with regards to uh, specifically the metrics around Core Web Vitals. If you always redirect mobile users directly to the app, then you won't have a lot of data for the Core Web Vitals. And depending on, on your site, maybe that doesn't bother you. Maybe that's fine. Uh, but it, it's also kind of something to, to keep in mind there. Uh, but I, I think, as far as I have it in, in my head, at the moment, there is nothing kind of like negative from an SEO point of view if you redirect users to, to an app. I think from a usability point of view, making it optional is a lot nicer. But ultimately, that's between you and your users. Yeah, so good to know. Maybe we can start by uh, maybe doing some tests, doing A-B tests to test. Yeah. 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 Thanks. I, I think we also still have some documentation about this, because uh, it, it used to be a part of search uh, with regards to app indexing. And I'm, I'm pretty sure we have some documentation either on our side or on the Firebase app indexing side uh, with regards to that specific kind of uh, configuration. Great. Great. I will check it out later. Cool. Mm -hmm. So the second question is about uh, region-specific subdomains. Like, if we want to build region-specific subdomains um, and use Halfline to indicate our language, uh, does the page content need to be exactly the same, uh, no. except currency? No. It, like you, you, can, you can change these pages. Uh, I've I've also seen situations where you swap out the product name because maybe you have a different brand name in different countries. That's that's all fine. Essentially, it should be equivalent. That if a user was searching for a specific kind of product, that they find kind of like the equivalent kind of products on those pages. Yeah, yeah. So we just uh, worried that. Um, we, we build different uh, orthograms for different subdomains, country sites. And uh, we are afraid that maybe a different uh, orthogram makes them make like some recommendation models and maybe some uh, products, uh, product listing maybe are different. Uh, so that's fine. Yeah, that's fine. It's like also the availability of individual products varies across countries. And if the, the category page is the category page that a user would see in that country. That's that's fine, even if it's not the same as in other countries. Okay, so uh, how how does Google like measure the similarity of pages? Um, I I think we don't. I I think we basically use the the hreflang to understand which of these URLs are equivalent from your point of view, and we will swap those out. Oh, okay, so not from the content point of view, maybe some no. similar content. No, I we we would only do that for things like the rel canonical uh, to understand what the canonical URL is. But for hreflang, it's I, I think it's impossible for us to kind of understand that this specific content is equivalent for another country or another language. Like there, there's so many local differences that are always possible. Okay. Okay. Great to know. Uh, the last question is about backlinks. So we uh, we are a big e-commerce 
uh, site and uh, there are like millions of backlinks and uh, we have a like a standard procedure to uh, check some spam backlinks uh, every month or maybe several months uh, and we just noticed that the upper limit of the uh, google disable list is only uh, is only 2 mb and if i just wonder if our file has exceeded the limit then uh, how to deal with those spam backlinks. Yeah. Usually, I I would recommend, on the one hand, uh, trying to use a domain directive as much as possible. That saves you kind of multiple entries from, from the same site. And mm -hmm. also, not to focus too much on trying to clean up all links, because that's always impossible. I, I would really focus on using the disavow for links where when you look at them, you think, if someone from the WebSAM team were to look at this, they would be 100% certain that you bought them or that there was some kind of exchange happening here. Uh, but for all of these kind of random links that a website gets, and even from spammy pages or copy pages or random forum posts, those are not things that you need to put in the disavow file. Mm, so currently, most spam links we found are like Korean poor sites. It's it's very clear that they are spam. They they targeted to our site in to our search pages, which is super weird for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what what they might be doing? I I don't know if this is the case in in your situation, but I I've seen that before. Is that they? Uh, target search results pages with a specific query that includes things like a phone number or a URL in the yeah. hope that that yeah. phone number shows up in the search results. And if you just no-index your, your search results pages or search results pages that have maybe a longer query in them, something like that, then they automatically don't get indexed. Oh, that's, uh, that's good to hear. We will definitely try this method. Cool. OK, great. Thank okay. you. Great. Cool. Uh, let me run through some of the submitted questions, and I'll get back to, to those of you with your raised hands as well. Um, let's see. The, the first one I have here is, do I need to mark up content on my page with HTML semantic elements, for example, footer? Does it help somehow to understand the content for Google? Um, I think we talked about this very briefly with headings, but it's essentially similar here. Uh, for some types of elements, it does give us a little bit more context about the, the content of your page. Uh, but things like footer don't really give us that much more information. Uh, so some amount of uh, semantic HTML definitely makes sense for SEO. Uh, it definitely makes sense for usability and for uh, compatibility across different browser types, all of that as well. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's like important for SEO. Um, should we expect a drop in traffic if we re remove AMP? Uh, so I, I assume this is a setup where you have kind of traditional HTML pages and AMP pages, and you link between them. Uh, there, I, I think there are three things that kind of come together when you remove AMP pages like this. Uh, on, on the one hand, um, there are some search features that are limited to AMP-only pages. I don't think there are any at the moment. I, I, I would have to double check. But I, I don't think there are any search features at the moment that are only available to AMP pages. So from that point of view, like you wouldn't be losing anything there. 
the other thing is that AMP pages tend to be very fast, or it's easier to make very fast AMP pages. And uh, since we do use speed and kind of the, the page experience as a ranking factor, uh, it is something where if you have a lot of very fast pages in AMP and you switch over to slower pages uh, that are non-AMP, then you might see an effect there. You can, of course, make very fast pages that are not AMP as well. Like you, it's not limited to AMP. So that's something where I would double check to see uh, if how, how kind of things with regards to speed uh, apply there. And I think the third one is uh, there, there's occasionally this assumption that AMP pages somehow rank better, and that's not the case. AMP is not a ranking factor, uh, so it shouldn't be something where you would see a change in ranking just because you have AMP pages or you don't have AMP pages. Uh, so all of those things kind, kind of together, if you can make sure that your normal pages are, are fast and equivalent and you have all of the structured data that you need in those normal pages, then probably you can turn off AMP, and uh, it'll be essentially very similar. What you'll probably see is kind of a transitional period of kind of some AMP pages still being in the AMP cache and kind of taking a while to, to bubble out. Uh, but in, in general, it's, it's possible to turn these off. Uh, we, we have a Help Center article about this kind of turning off of AMP pages. Uh, so I would double check that as well. Um, yeah. I think that's pretty much it uh, with, with regards to AMP. Uh, with regards to crawling, you probably already see that uh, AMP pages tend to be crawled a little bit more often because we refresh the cache uh, through crawling as well. So if you don't have those extra AMP pages, then our crawling will be focused more on the, the rest of your site. So you might see a rise in kind of crawl activity on the kind of traditional pages that you have there. Um, let's see. I think we talked about the different states. Um, I have a site that has a lot of weird spam links pointing to it. I added thousands of these to the disavow file. Um, but I'm concerned I might have taken out some good links in the process. Uh, there was never a manual action, so I'm wondering whether it would be wise to test this by removing the disavow file uh, with the option of adding it again later if things didn't improve. Um, I mean, you can always test this, this kind of thing. Uh, so my assumption is that for most websites, um, you don't need to use a disavow file, and it's easy to, to get things wrong. Uh, but that doesn't mean that all websites should never use it. So from, from that point of view, it's, it's hard for me to say that you will see an improvement or kind of a, a start of a problem with regards to that. Uh, but uh, I, I would almost take this as something where you go incrementally through your disavow file and uh, maybe split it up into parts and then incrementally take out individual parts and see how that works for you. And uh, that way, you kind of remove some of the risk by just kind of like blindly switching things on and off uh, to kind of figuring out which parts of the file actually don't cause any problems. And maybe in the end, you'll figure out that, well, you didn't need this at all. Uh, but uh, it kind of takes away that risk of like, if I turn this off completely, will everything blow up? Which probably it won't. Probably it'll be fine. 
in recent months, I noticed Google serving knowledge panels for certain name searches very consistently in mobile and not at all on desktop for the same query. These examples, uh, the examples where I'm seeing this pattern are generally business executives who are notable but don't have a Wikipedia page. Uh, is it possible to understand why a knowledge panel is considered appropriate to serve to mobile users but not to desktop users in this situation? And is Wikipedia the, the critical factor uh, for Google when deciding whether or not to show a, a knowledge panel? Uh, so I'm not aware of specific things that we do differently on mobile and desktop with regards to knowledge panel, but it's is very common across the different search features that uh, depending on the device type, on the kind of the real estate that we have available, we'll turn some fe features on and some features off uh, to try to make sure that we're showing something that is useful to to the user based on the query that they were using. Uh, so from that point of view, I. I wouldn't be surprised if you see different knowledge panels on desktop and mobile. Uh, but I also don't think there is any one particular factor that we'd say, this is why you're seeing this knowledge panel at this time and not at another time. Uh, sometimes with regards to these kind of queries where you are seeing kind of this change, it might be that it's like just on the border of let's show a knowledge panel or not. And then maybe the device type just kind of like turns it over and like says yes or no in the end. Uh, but uh, that's something where I, I don't think there is like one specific factor that is involved with showing these or not showing these. Uh, we, we do use a variety of different sources for knowledge panels. And some of that you'll see in the knowledge panel directly. Uh, so that's kind of some, one thing you can kind of follow up a little bit. Uh, another tip that I would give with regards to these kind of things is uh, there, there are some people externally from Google who spent a lot of time kind of looking into the knowledge panels and like how things are shown when Google picks things up. And uh, some of these write, write about uh, the things that they found and kind of have their own tools to try that out. Uh, I, I would try to look up some of those folks and get in touch with them and kind of like look at the details that they figured out. Uh, Jason Bernard is one of the people I, I know who does this really well. Um, he's he's posting on Twitter all the time around knowledge panels, and may, maybe that gives you some ideas as well of what you could be looking at there. Uh, then synonyms, how automated is, is it? Uh, is there a human component? For example, automobile rentals brings up rental cars. That makes a lot of sense. I'm seeing situations where searches for generic keyword phrase, moving truck or rental truck, uh, show the brand budget truck rental instead of a synonym or no alteration at all. Uh, it's similar to a person searching for inkjet printer and then getting HP's knowledge panel in addition. Um, so as, as far as I know, the whole synonym system is completely automated. It's not something where someone is manually working on a spreadsheet of synonyms and kind of like saying, well, this is the same as this, uh, because that would never really work out. Uh, we, we see, I think, somewhere along the lines of 10 to 15% of queries completely new every day. Uh, so it wouldn't be possible for anyone to kind of like keep up with this all the time. Uh, there is a, a video. Uh, from one of the events that we did, um, I think like 
two or three years back now, uh, where Paul Haar, one of the engineers that works on the system, kind of presented some of the situations that we ran across with regards to synonyms, uh, where we tried to figure out, like, what are the synonyms here, and some of the cases where we got things completely wrong. And I, I thought that was really interesting to look at there. And if you're interested around synonyms and how Google figures that out, I would definitely check that out. Uh, with regards to that kind of generic switch between uh, moving truck and budget truck rental, uh, that's something where most likely we, we also learned that automatically. And some of these cases we, we get well, where, where things kind of work out or essentially kind of make sense. And some of these we get wrong. If you see cases where we get synonyms wrong, then definitely send us feedback in the search results. Uh, so that we can try to figure out what we can do to improve that. Um, my client has business in several locations in India. In that case, what would be the best method to include local business schema? Uh, so this is similar to, I think, the question we had earlier about uh, different states. If you have different landing pages for those different locations, you can put the individual local business schema on those individual pages with the address, phone numbers, opening hours, all of that additional information. So that's kind of the approach I would take there. Um, I have 15 to 20 FAQs on my web page. Should I include all the questions in the FAQ schema or just the questions that I consider important? Uh, when it comes to structured data, we want to see the structured data visible on the page, but not all visible content has to be marked up with structured data. Uh, so if you have individual pieces of content on your page that you want to give structured data for, then go ahead and do that. You don't have to do that for every piece of content on your page. Uh, so if you have 20 FAQs and you mark up five of them, that's totally up to you. Uh, you can. You can even use the data no snippet to kind of like completely block some of these other items from appearing in a snippet if, if that's something that you'd like to do. Um, can Google use content that is initially hidden within accordions, uh, tabs, and drop down elements to use for featured snippets? And people also ask. Uh, the design elements are great for user experience. However, they have the same probability of being used by Google for rich snippets compared to standard paragraph uh, within an article that is always visible without requiring the user to click anything. Um, so for, for structured data type things like FAQs, uh, we, we do require that the information is visible on the page, and specifically for FAQs, we require that the question is visible. The answer can be kind of within this kind of accordion setup. Uh, for the, the elements that you mentioned, the featured snippets, and people also ask, I don't know if that really applies there. So featured snippets are essentially just normal snippets uh, of a page that we would show. And they can sometimes include things that are behind an accordion. Um, my understanding is that we try not to show much kind of like initially not visible content in snippets in general, uh, but it can happen. If we think that is, this is particularly relevant for a page, that it makes sense to give the user additional context so that they know why your page is a good match for what they're looking for, then may maybe it does make sense for us to show some of that. Uh, with regards to people also ask, I don't know. 
my assumption is it's probably also similar. Uh, but my assumption is also people also ask is probably more based on what people actually search for rather than content that is visible directly on your pages. OK, wow, we still have a bunch of questions left, but uh, also more and more hands going up. So maybe I'll just go and switch over to you all here live. Uh, let's see, Clement, I think you're first. Hello, John. Can you hear me? Yes. Um, I, I'm working for a French uh, e-commerce website. Um, we are selling goods for sexual wellness, like uh, massage oils, uh, gifts for for couples or sex toys. Uh, that's why we are, we are classified uh, as an adult uh, website by Google. Um, um, one year ago, we were ranking first on the, the, the main queries of the market, like, like uh, the query sex toy. Uh, and our competitors were, the, were second, third, uh, fourth, et cetera. Uh, today, there are, there are no more adult websites on these queries, uh, there are only general uh, websites like uh, Amazon. Um, I wonder um, if it's uh, uh, something that Google wants that uh, e-commerce websites uh, specialize in selling sex toys are not ranking on sex toy queries, or if it's a mistake. Um, and I wonder if, if there is not a uh, a bug or, or something wrong with a with a safe search uh, update because um, for example when when i'm uh, searching a sex toy with my uh, google account uh, with a safe search deactivated and my google account is uh, more than uh, uh, 18 years old i'm i still do, don't see the adult websites ranking there, there are only uh, general websites uh, like uh, Amazon. I don't know if it's normal. I don't or not. know. I don't know. Uh, if if you can make maybe copy some of the queries that you're using, and some of the sites that you expect to find there in into the chat, I can take that out and forward that to the Safe Search team to look at. I mean, it's it's always possible that there's there's something that we could be doing better there, uh, but I I don't know offhand if they would consider this to be acceptable or if this is problematic or borderline or how they they would see this particular situation. Uh, but if you can maybe include some of the queries that you're using and some of the sites that you expect to find for those queries, uh, that would be very useful for me. OK, thank you. Sure. Keep tuned uh, in the chat. Yes, thank you. exactly. Cool. Um, Robin. Yes, hi, John. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, perfect. So I have a few questions about product reviews, um, which is my, my domain. So uh, I noticed uh, recent, that recently you, you made some moves in the US to uh, promote uh, product reviews where there were real testing. Uh, instead of a you know just comparison, uh, do you have any any time estimates of when we could uh, expect these upgrades to be like in uh, markets like in French or German? I don't know. Okay. Like like with, with most things, it's, it's something where uh, we we tend not to pre-announce them, mm -hmm. so it's it's hard to kind of like say ahead of time. And 
for some of these updates, the team moves very fast in kind of uh, like rolling things out globally. And for, for other types of updates, it's, it's very slow. And sometimes there are also policy and legal reasons kind of that make things a little bit harder. So it's, it's always very tricky to, to give an estimate. Okay, because those were very nice upgrades, and we're we're looking forward to have them in in Europe. I think. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, I, I'm curious. Could you explain a, a little more uh, in general how 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 could Google train like an algorithm to understand where they were real testing or not? Is it machine learning or is it also human human reviewers? Um, for for search for these kind of kind of general ranking updates, it's not something where we would have human reviewers in the loop, because like there's just so much content out there. We can't yeah. review it all. And uh, a lot of times, we also don't have kind of like a clear yes or no understanding where someone can go through a website and say, oh, this page is good, this page is bad. It's, it's just not scalable. So these are all essentially algorithmic approaches that we take. And uh, we, we do use a lot of machine learning. Whether we use that for this particular update, I don't know. My, my guess is probably also, at mm -hmm. least to some extent. Um, but uh, it's, it's like hard to say which exact technology was used for it, which update. OK. And do you plan to integrate this kind of, uh, of understanding of a web page uh, into the, the core Google algorithm? Um, I, mean, I mean, it's always tricky to kind of define what is a part right. of the core update, the core algorithm. Uh, so I, I don't think I'd have an answer okay. for that. It's, no problem. Because I, usually what, what happens is when we see that some algorithm is working really well, then we'll mm -hmm. kind of like just keep using that for a longer period of time. And at some point, you could say, well, it's a part of the core algorithm even if it's not in a file that is called core algorithm or something okay. like that. And so I, I have a, a small case study where um, basically, like for example, a, a, a website um, um, upgraded like 20 comparison articles, two comparison articles with testing. And like you can clearly see like on the article, we, the, there are the website bots, the stuff tested for, for a few time. And so it was like one year ago. And unfortunately, like it's been one year, and uh, there hasn't been any noticeable ev positive evolution uh, for these specific articles. So it's just that it, because of that's not been integrated into the algorithm yet. I'm guessing. I don't know. I it's mean, weird. It, is it the case that they have some articles that are good and some articles that are kind of like old style? Or ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I could imagine that kind of scenario throwing things off. Okay. Uh, because uh, for, for some kinds of understanding of a website, we, we do look at the bigger picture. And okay. sometimes that bigger picture goes so far as kind of like the website overall. Okay. And if we have this mixed set of like, these are really good, and these are kind of OK or not that good, then kind of what averages out is really hard to estimate. Oh, OK, OK. I understand. OK, OK. And so long-term quality should win, of course. But do you have any tips on what can websites do, like short-term, to to do? Because you know, long-term, you can work on upgrading the, the, the stuff in it, but short-term. Short-term. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's always tricky, because there's like some things that move very quickly in search and some things that take a, a longer period of time. Uh, what I would always recommend for sites in general is to make sure that they're not purely kind of like 
only focused on search. Uh, to make sure that they have a diverse set of traffic to the website. And usually what you'll see is also that if you significantly improve the quality of the website overall, you'll also see better traffic from social media and kind of like the different other channels that you use to drive traffic. And that usually kind of that mix of different channels makes it a lot more stable on the one mm -hmm. hand, but also means that if you make bigger changes, you'll see some of these channels reacting faster, some of them taking a little bit longer to kind of like update on that. So that's kind of like almost like saying, well, you shouldn't use search to, for these kind of fast changes. But I, I think that's kind of the reality. As a business, you, you try to cater to a wide variety of audiences. Sure. That's all for me. Thanks. Cool. All right, uh, Akash. Hi, John. Hi. Hi. Hello. Am I audible? Yes. Uh, John, my question is uh, related to two coverage issues. One is uh, crawled currently and not indexed, and one is discovered currently not indexed. And in both the cases, the pages are not indexed. <laughs> this is my main problem. However, uh, we had recently submitted, uh, say, around you know 150 URLs, and out of which many of them has got already indexed, but few pages are not getting indexed. In Google SRP or, uh, or or the Google SERP. Uh, I know that Google does not index or like the whole content. It takes time and all those things. But the thing is that it doesn't give uh, the search doesn't give much more information. It just shows their last crawl or something uh, an A like you know not a typical or something like that because the pages are created because the rest of the pages and these pages are almost same. They do uh, bring a lot of values. Uh, what should I do when there is you know uh, very much less information, or what should I do to make these uh, pages uh, at least faster, right? Uh, uh, like linking from the home pages or linking from the pages which are already ranking for some of the queries of my particular website. Will that uh, help me, you know, getting those pages rank a bit faster, like like something like that, or or it could be like bringing more backlinks and so. I, I think all of those things kind of help. And it sounds like you're you're on the right track and you know a little bit like what what to expect. And from from our point of view, it's really the case that we don't index all content on all websites, and that's kind of expected from our side. Uh, so if if you're seeing a big part of your content already being indexed, I think you're on the right right approach. Uh, but it doesn't mean that like everything is perfect. And things like internal linking, making sure that the overall quality of the website is really good, uh, those help a lot. Uh, sometimes it might also make sense to look at the website overall and say, well, I have submitted 500 pages in, in my sitemap file or wherever, and 200 of them are being indexed. Like, what? What is the value of those 300 pages that are not getting an index? And is there something that maybe I can do to go from having 500 random pages on a website, maybe reducing down to maybe 300 really good pages on a website, to kind of like concentrate the value into fewer pages so that at least as those fewer pages get indexed, you get a lot of the value of those pages back. Uh, which could be that they rank for different keywords or they, they work for the users that you care about most, uh, kind of as a way of prioritizing on your side uh, before you hand everything over to Google to do. 
So that would kind of be my approach there. Uh, on the one hand, kind of making sure that you have everything lined up properly with internal linking and the overall website quality. And on the other hand, if you're seeing that lots of your pages are not being indexed, trying to find a way to make it clear to Google which pages they should be prioritizing, which could be like removing some pages that you don't really care about or that are not critical for your site. John, is it like, uh, let's say there are a few keywords which has a very high search volume, let's say uh, a shoes keyword. A shoes keyword will probably have a very high search volume rather than a shoe at my place or near the home. A particular query has maybe 10 search volume or low. Uh, is it something like uh, getting an internal link from a page which has a very, you know, as a high search volume, which is again ranking rather than a page which has a low search volume? Again, it's ranking good, but uh, why should I, you know, at least uh, build internal links from those pages? Is it something like, you know, uh, the high keyword search volume pages, if you interlink the other pages of your website, that is something uh, would be like more valuable or something like that. I, I don't think we would look at the search volume at all for, for things like that. So it's, it's really a matter of understanding the, the importance of pages within your website. And that's not tied to how many people search for those pages. OK, uh, one last question. Uh, let's say if for a particular product, uh, the manufacturer has been publishing that particular product to uh, 10 to 20 different sites. So the overall product uh, description or the product guidelines or, or, or the product uh, value became same, right? The Im images could be the same. The, the product information could be the same on multiple pages or the multiple vendors uh, to, uh, to which they are selling. Uh, is it still okay to write something extra? a kind of you know something more unique uh, on my website just to make sure that uh, i have something extra about that particular product which rest uh, uh, other people does have but they are just copy pasting the overall description from the uh, the manufacturer whereas the products are like just like you know shoes or tea like t-shirts it's not something the medical products which you know i am just bluffing the content but uh, making sure that uh, writing more uh, more unique or more uh, addition to the SERP uh, might be helpful to the users as well. So would that uh, you know help me to rank better just to uh, add a more value in the SERP? I, I think if you can add more value uh, on top of kind of generic manufacturer information, that's always a good thing. Uh, what I would not do is just add kind of like fluff to these pages and just like, I don't know, a copy of Wikipedia article about the product category and put that on every page. It should really be something that adds value to, to the user. So if they go there, they see, well, the generic information is on lots of different sites, but this website here has some additional information which helps me as someone who might be interested in this product. Uh, so really kind of unique and valuable information, adding that is a great idea. Uh, just filling extra text on a page, I would not do that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Sure. Cool. All right. Uh, we, we still have some hands raised. I, I can go over a little bit, but uh, let me pause the recording here. Uh, thank you all for sticking around. If you're watching this on YouTube, it's like, Thanks for watching to the end. Uh, if you'd like to join one of these yourself, 
like, feel free to watch out for these links. We post them in the community section of our channel. Um, usually, they're around weekly. On Fridays, often, uh, we alternate between morning and evening times, my time, which kind of maps to different locations in the world. Uh, anyway, thank you all for submitting so many questions. And thank you for asking questions here live. And hopefully, we'll see uh, some of you again in one of the future episodes. Bye, everyone.